It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Bonus Benson. This segment is officially completely off the rails. What are you talking about? Stuff we wish never aired. I will eat chalupas all day long. Come on, man. The Guy Benson Show. Homestretch on The Guy Benson Show. Monday here on the program. And the weekend sort of on paper, was about as good as it gets from my perspective. I got home just in time for the show on Friday, did the show, and then got a workout in, did some quick packing, then Adam and I packed Roy up into the car. We drove down to a lake in Virginia where my best friend Mary Catherine and her family have a house. And she was down there with the girls. She's, of course, pregnant with her third. And... They are just dear, close friends to us, and we had a wonderful time out on the lake, on the boat. We were grilling. We watched the latest Ted Lasso episode all together, had some wine, a little bourbon. The dogs were running around. The girls were adorable, drawing pictures for us. It was just great. And yet throughout the weekend, of course, Mary Catherine and I both work in news and political commentary, so we often banter back and forth about news of the day and other current events, it was almost impossible to push out of our minds what's happening in Afghanistan because there is this gnawing sense of national responsibility and national humiliation and disgrace. And you can blame all sorts of people for it, and the blame should be shared. But just as citizens and taxpayers and voters, we kept gravitating back toward this conversation, not with the little kids around, because it's too upsetting, I think. But we would talk about it, and Mary Catherine's husband, he had been over there at least once to Afghanistan. And we just discussed it repeatedly. And so things would get pretty heavy and pretty intense for little periods of time, and then we kind of had to just force ourselves to still appreciate and enjoy the blessings that we have being free citizens of this great country here and not dwell endlessly on the suffering and terror that is happening in Kabul and all around that country right now. So there was a strange juxtaposition of an idyllic American summer weekend with the horror in Afghanistan right now. Like, you would, it would slip out of your mind from time to time. We were in the lake at one point. We were swimming. Roy, our dog, is not much of a swimmer. He can do it. He does not like to do it. He's kind of scared of the water. But we want to make sure that he can swim if push came to shove. So sometimes, especially at the lake, because it's very low risk, it's the sort of the shallow little area, we will have him practice. And he can do it. He paddles around. But he has a sense of purpose in that he paddles either directly to a human being or to the shore to then dry off and run around as if he's just experienced a near-death encounter, even though he doggy paddles just fine. So I carried him with me into the water, 
And as we got a little bit deeper and deeper, he was clinging to me a little bit more intensely. And then we had him swim over to Adam, who was right near the shore. And Adam was encouraging him and saying, come on, bud. And he blew right past Adam onto the little beach and up onto the grass. And he shook himself off, came onto the dock, settled down in the sun and said, I think I've had enough of that. Whereas their dog, Scout, can just, like a torpedo into the water. You throw a ball or a toy, and he gets some serious air. So we're watching this, and we're taking photos, and the girls are doing sort of their little swim lessons, and got a few beers out or whatever, and it's just perfect. And then this thought of the outside world creeps in again. And that was my experience all weekend long. Maybe I'm thinking more about it than you are. Maybe I'm thinking about it less than you are. I think there are a lot of Americans who have watched on social media and on TV and are just horrified, as we've talked about throughout the show. You can be anywhere on the spectrum, or at least most places on the public opinion spectrum in this country from we should have gotten out completely a long time ago to we should still be there, at least to some extent. There's a whole range of opinions along that continuum. I dare say most people, most Americans are looking what's happening, are looking at what's happening, and are just mortified. For them, for those poor people, for us, worries about what this could mean in the future, the Taliban in charge of a country... I mean, we've seen that movie before. It ended with 9-11, which many of us remember vividly. Some of us are too young to remember. Those of us who do remember, it is, I promise you, something you never want to live through, anything close to it. And there seem to be no perfect options, no easy answers, but an overriding sense of, but we can't have this. This is not acceptable. I saw Trafalgar polling which had sort of a mixed record in 2020. They had some races a lot closer than most pollsters, and turned out that they were close races in some of these states. They did a national poll on Afghanistan, and it's almost 70% disapproving of the president's handling of it. I'd love to meet the 10% of people who strongly favor Biden's handling of this. I mean, did they poll members of the actual Taliban? I'm trying to figure that out. So while there was a strong appetite, I think, for America to disengage and withdraw substantially or entirely from Afghanistan, there's some polling data that suggests that people were okay with a very limited footprint with low to non-existent casualties, as long as it was keeping stability and the peace and making sure that we can take the fight to terrorists in that theater, as opposed to giving them space and breathing room to plot attacks against us. I mean, when you start asking questions that way, the polling actually gets sort of interesting. And it's not just like, oh, yes, out immediately. But there was a strong, I would say, appetite based on many polls for the U.S. to withdraw completely or mostly from Afghanistan, but not like this. Christine, I know you had a pretty quiet weekend as well. You went out to dinner with Bobby, and it seems like this was really weighing on your mind as well. This really impacted my weekend guy. You know, uh, my daughter is away with uh, Judge Joyce for the week. 
And so my husband and I had a free weekend. And I have to say, just like you, we, we, you know, we went to the movies. We saw an amazing movie, Aretha, about Aretha Franklin. We went to dinner. We took hikes with our dog. But everything kept coming back to this. You know, we didn't even want to go out much Saturday night after dinner. I just wanted to get home and read and watch. And I was up to one in the morning going through social media. My heart is just breaking. And it's also just bringing back, like you said, so many memories from 20 years ago. Uh, We're back where we started. And I never, ever want to go through what we went through on September 11th again. And I fear something like that can happen. We have to do something. What Biden did was just the worst of the worst possible outcome. And something has to be done. And people need to be held accountable. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the questions I've had throughout this, these last few days, because it's been just stunningly rapid, the collapse. It's not like we've watched this slow motion train wreck play out. It happened really fast. Almost in like fast forward motion. It was really, really quick. And you're like, okay, what about the people who were responsible for preventing this? What about the people who predicted, including the president, that this would never happen? Top officials. Intelligence that was wrong. I mean, is there any accountability here? And I know the conventional wisdom is that the American people ultimately don't really care about this and elections aren't decided on foreign policy almost ever. And I'm not sure I disagree with either of those. I'm not sure that this is going to be something that is like lasting in the minds of voters in 2022 or 2024. Although there definitely could be remnants of it. We don't know what the future holds either. But I do think the notion that no one cares here in the U.S. and it's sort of just like, oh, that's a shame and we'll all move on. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not convinced of that because it is actually... Sickening. I think for a lot of us, the reaction is visceral. I watched that video of those poor people falling from the plane, trying to get out of the airport at Kabul. And you know exactly, I talked to you about it earlier, you know exactly what a lot of people were thinking. They're watching that and then thinking about the people falling from the towers on September 11th. Yeah, bodies falling from the sky. It's, I mean, it there was this chilling callback there was and the the two photos side by side of saigon in the mid 70s and then the chaos at the airport in kabul there's just a lot of echoes of history here none of them good and you know i'm not complaining that my weekend was not just hunky dory i think that sometimes being caring and thoughtful person involves having your own personal pleasure or fun at least impacted or put on hold by world events. I mean, I think a lot of the reason that we're in this and so many of you are out there listening, you care. You care about what happens to the country. You care about what happens in the world. Politics sometimes feels like team sports and entertainment, but under all of that are policies and personnel and decisions that matter a lot. And if you're an American who cares about the country, cares about the promises that we make, cares about our allies, cares about our reputation, if you're one of those people, and I think most of us here are, it's really hard not to be affected by this on some level, personally. I will say, Christine, lastly, on a much lighter note, one of the bright spots 
has been the occasional check-ins and dispatches over from Italy from our colleague and friend, uh, Quiet Wyatt. His first ever international trip. He'd never been out of the country. He's there with his brother, and I believe he was starting off in Rome for a number of days. He had a photo from the Trevi Fountain, which is beautiful. And some of the sights, of course, are gorgeous in Italy, but he knows us well. He's been sending us photos of his food, <laughs> of his pasta, of his gelato, and I'm just thrilled for him. It looks like it's been an amazing trip so far, and we'll keep you posted, but I'm jealous. There's that. I'm jealous. Have you been to Italy, Christine? I have not. We were going to go for my 40th slash 10th anniversary this past summer, but um, we had kinda, decided yeah. against it. I had thought, for some reason I had it in my mind yeah. that you maybe hadn't been. Quiet Wyatt beat you to Italy. Quiet Wyatt. I, I, listen, hey, he, he might be in Italy right now, but Bobby and I went to Staten Island Saturday night for Italian dinner, okay? So... I, mean, that. I don't feel like I'm missing out that much. Italy, Staten Island, who can really tell the difference when push comes to shove? <laughs> Have a great time, Wyatt. Well, we're going to step aside because we are out of time. But we'll be right back here tomorrow. I'll be heading up to New York doing the show from there. Some TV duties upcoming again. So we will fill you in on all of that. When we hit the airwaves, same time, same place tomorrow for the Tuesday edition of The Guy Benson Show. Home stretch here on this Tuesday. It's the Guy Benson Show. So twice now in the last, what, four days, this issue has reared its head again. And I know there's a lot that we're discussing on Afghanistan, on COVID and the Delta variant, vaccines. It's just like drinking from a fire hose. Often they say that July and especially August are the doldrums of summer. Congress is on recess. That hasn't really been the case, right? This is coming at us at a thousand miles an hour every day. There's no slow news day anymore or slow news month. August has been hot news wise and just physically. The point of that is not that long ago, we were talking quite a lot about, remember the $2 trillion bill that the Democrats passed all by themselves? No Republican votes. They said it was COVID relief. That's what they called it. It was Biden's first big achievement as president. Signed it into law, the Recovery Act, or whatever they called it. They put it under the banner of COVID, but we pointed out so much of it was wasteful. So much of it had nothing to do with COVID. So much of it was spending down into the future well beyond 2021 or even 2022. And then there were provisions in it that we talked about that we thought would prolong economic hardship, right? There were benefits given to unemployed people that were so generous, these extra federal benefits on top of the existing structure layered atop, right? These were supplemental federal benefits for the unemployed. And the argument was made by a lot of Republicans and conservatives before this bill was passed. If you do this, many people are going to come to the conclusion that they can make more money not working. They will be deliberately, strategically unemployed because they can make either more than their income or roughly equivalent to their income or even a fair amount of their income by just hanging out and doing other things and not actually working. 
It was a very perverse disincentive away from work. And of course, that warning fell on deaf ears. The Democrats didn't care. In some ways, it was a feature, not a bug. More dependency on the government is a good thing in a lot of their minds. Not all of them, but to a lot of people in the progressive left, they love government dependency. They want more of it. Conservatives, we want less of it. And so that argument wasn't necessarily persuasive to them. They waved it off. That's not really going to be a problem. And yet we've seen what has happened. The number of job openings, a separate layer of an economic crisis that has held back our recovery is the fact that a lot of people are staying on the sidelines, not seeking work. And the data bears it out. Thank goodness a bunch of Republican governors reversed the policy in their states Of course, they were attacked for it. Look at these heartless, non-compassionate people. No, getting people back to work is what's compassionate and sustainable. But because this became a partisan issue, even with Democrats admitting that there was a problem, admitting that there was labor shortage issues in their states, many of them don't want to touch it because it's a Democratic policy signed by the Democratic president and it's just tribalism. So I believe the benefits, the supplemental benefits, finally start to expire in September. I think they go into September. Adam's parents are out in Colorado, Blue State, and they have a friend who opened a restaurant that is now only able to operate five days a week because they can't find enough people to work there. They can't staff the place seven days a week, so they're doing five days a week. And the problem with that from a business perspective, and keep in mind, any of these small businesses that are still operational managed to survive COVID, where you had businesses shut down or massively scaled back by government edict, right? They were able to get through that, and now they're facing this new government-caused problem, which is the shortage of workers. And in this case, that restaurant out in Colorado Their break-even is on day six for the week. Profit, I know some people view profit as bad and evil. Profit is, in fact, the whole goal. It's what makes the whole system work. Profit is day seven. So because they're only able to operate five days a week due to the labor shortage, they are operating at a loss and have been doing so for a while and will continue to do so until the blue state Supplemental benefits expire and people need to work again. So they are just hoping that they can cling on until then. Now, that's just an anecdote. It's not data, although it supports the data, right? It's an illustration of the data. In our backyard, in our neck of the woods, one of our favorite mom and pop restaurants in our neighborhood, same thing. They were operating seven days a week. They had to cut it back to six days a week. And now they've just closed for a second day as well. They are now closed Mondays and Tuesdays. They are only operating five days a week because they can't get people to work. This is a business that clawed barely through COVID. And now they can't even operate seven days a week, not because they're doing anything wrong, but because the government has made, and this is in a blue area, blue state, the governor's made it policy that people are in a better position to sit home and not work than to show up and allow these businesses to function. So those are two very different parts of the country under Democratic governors, under a Democrat-passed law, 
that are experiencing exactly the same thing. And guess what? They've got a plan tentatively to reopen seven days a week. It's circled on their calendar as soon as these benefits expire, which is not a coincidence. There's a direct link, right? You can connect the dots very easily. This past weekend, I was down at the lake. We mentioned this, the lake with Mary Catherine Hamm and her family. We went to a restaurant for lunch one day and they had signs everywhere saying, we understand our service is slow. The food might take a while. We are sorry. We can't get people to work. Please be kind to our staff and those who have shown up for work. Please be patient. And one of their signs said, the labor shortage is a new pandemic. These are not cherry-picked examples. Scenes like that and realities like that are playing out across the country still, and there are some businesses that might not be able to survive it. And I know some folks just shrug and say, oh, well, if they'd only paid their workers more, we need a higher minimum wage. Like, all of their solutions to the problems that they cause would actually make the problem worse. Oh, no, it's not true. They're the experts. They've got it all figured out. They've got everything planned, just like they have in Afghanistan. Right? They just exude confidence. The competence emanates off of them. Meanwhile, at least these businesses are not bars or restaurants trying to operate in Australia. This is a government official making a new announcement, an update to their policy on COVID. Their lockdowns are crazy. In parts of Australia, they have law enforcement out there arresting people for leaving their homes. They've had a very low COVID rate, but they've been very slow on vaccines. And the government has taken a hardcore line, maybe not as crazy as New Zealand, where they just went into another lockdown over one case, one. Like just the risk assessment, it boggles my mind. It almost gives me a new appreciation for the benevolence of people like Muriel Bowser, right? I would somehow take the hypocrisy and overreach of Muriel Bowser than live like that in New Zealand. But of course, we live in the land of the free and none of this is acceptable. But listen to this. We are, this is a real soundbite from a press conference from a government apparatchik down under explaining another thing that Australians aren't allowed to do. There will be no removal of masks to consume alcohol outdoors. So you will no longer be able to remove your mask to drink a cocktail uh, at a pop-up beer garden on a footpath uh, as part of a pub crawl. So you can't take your mask off. I believe this was in New South Wales. You can't take your mask off to drink an alcoholic beverage outside. And I guess they'll have the police there ready, handcuffs in hand, if you really rebel against the government and have a beer outdoors with your mask hanging off of your ear. That's not allowed. So people were making jokes. I saw memes on the internet of like people getting waterboarded with alcohol in Australia where they're still technically wearing cloth over their face. They're trying to pour the booze into the mouth regardless. I mean, I saw the clip and it it feels like it's satire, but that's their reality down there. And you still get this sort of petty tyranny in parts of the United States as well, right? It seems like we're sort of 
much farther along on vaccination than they are. But there was total insanity like this happening in the U.S. Maybe not quite this extreme. So I am glad. I love the Aussies. I love visiting Australia. We have family down there. I often wish I were there. Not right now. This does not seem healthy or good or fun. It seems like logic is out the window. Science? What does this have to do with science? We've known for well over a year that being outside is one of the safest places you can be. If you're on a trail with a beer outside and you're sipping it, that is a virtually a zero-risk situation. And yet here's the government down there saying, you may not. The second thought I had beyond how insane and anti-science this was when I saw the clip was, how would producer Christine survive in Australia? Or would you just become a civil rights leader? Would you engage in civil disobedience? Just take me to jail. But then there'd be no booze at all. That's true. And also, um, the way you said how that they're saying, no, you may not, that's not how they're saying it. They're saying, oi, mate, no, you cannot drink out here. That was an abomination. That, they don't say oi. That was a combination of a terrible British accent with a hint of South African at the very end. You wanted me to talk about this just so you could flex your horrible accent and drive me crazy. Isn't that what just happened? I've been practicing in the the studio. You baited me. You baited me into this so you could do that. Knowing that it's bad, not caring that it's bad, and in fact relishing the fact that I was going to hate it. Come on, mate. Just a little fun here. No, done. Nope, nope, nope. We still have like 20 seconds left, but let's just start the music now. And let's make sure her microphone is off. We are not going to subject any of our listeners to that anymore, especially, and my apologies go out, the Guy Benson Show would like to apologize to our listeners in Australia, South Africa, England, really the whole realm. The whole realm of the crown, if you were offended by what you just heard, please forgive us. Her impression does not reflect the views and values of the host of this show. Ugh. What you should have said is good eye, because we're out of time. Cheerio. Nope, nope, nope. Wrong country still. The microphone was supposed to be off. See you on Gutfeld tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern, Fox News Channel. Back here tomorrow from New York, it's The Guy Benson Show. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. So, what was it, a week or two ago, we were talking about one member of the squad, the newest member, Corey Bush, who believes that the police need to be defunded for everyone else, but she has private security. And she said, yeah, deal with it, live with it. I'm important. I've got stuff to do. So if my political office spends 200 grand on my security, deal with it, and we will defund the police. That's the same woman that almost single-handedly got the President of the United States to violate the Constitution and extend an eviction moratorium that he himself said was not constitutional. So the idea that the squad is just a group of ragtag, powerless backbenchers completely demolished by that significant development. That is still a thing, by the way. This fight is still going on, and I think it's going to get thrown out in the courts. It has to be. But we move and lurch from one crisis and major story to another so fast, I didn't want you to forget about that. Because I think if it were President Trump... Ignoring his own lawyers, doing something that he had said was unconstitutional because, pick someone, Lauren Boebert told him to, 
we would have the phrase constitutional crisis thrown around quite a lot and probably rightly so. He's like, well, we'll just do it and buy some time to do the thing that I want to do, even if it's not legal. That is what Biden did, caving to the will of Cori Bush from the squad. And she made it very clear proudly on CBS News. The rules are different for me because I'm a lawmaker. I'm important. I need protection. And other people can pound sand. We're going to defund the police and put that money into the community, whatever that means. It is a radical idea that her ilk outspokenly supports even amid the crime wave. Even though people in those communities overwhelmingly do not want the police defunded, as poll after poll shows, they are committed ideologue radicals. So people were pointing out the hypocrisy of Cori Bush. Here's a new one on the hypocrisy front involving the squad. This one from Ayanna Presley. I love this story. I love this story. Ayanna Presley is the one who sort of doesn't get a lot of attention from the squad, right? It's sort of unfair. Everyone knows AOC. Everyone knows Ilhan Omar and her brother. Everyone knows Rashida Tlaib, right? You get attention from anti-Semitic outbursts. Ayanna Presley's just sort of like, wah, wah. They call her the Ringo star of the squad. Well, she has been a big advocate of canceling rent because that's, you know, economically literate. Let's cancel rent, says the lawmaker. And she said it repeatedly. Here's a tweet from December Keeping families housed is a matter of public health. Remember, everything they say is a matter of public health. They want to justify power grabs. This is now I'm off on a a slight tangent. When they talk about public health, they use that as a justification for everything. It's a crisis. It's a public health emergency. So we have to fight misinformation and impose our will. This is how they argue. But canceling rent being framed as a matter of public health like gun violence, like climate change, like everything else they talk about. Anyway, back to this tweet. December 1st, 2020, Ayanna Presley. Keeping families housed is a matter of public health. We must cancel rent. The tweet goes on. Here's another one from August. America needs us to cancel rent. As if the federal government has the authority, the wherewithal to cancel rent, setting aside whether it's a good policy, they don't have the power to do this. These are contracts between private parties, but these statists, these socialists like, oh, well, let's cancel rent. She introduced legislation that would have required the federal government to reimburse landlords for rent not paid because they want to cancel the rent. So this is what Ayanna Presley has been shouting from the rooftops, not just ranting on Twitter about it, but introducing legislation, a bill in March of this year. Canceling rent and mortgage payments. Would you like to guess the punchline of this story about Ayanna Ringo Presley of the squad? Let me read to you from foxnews.com. And hats off to whatever reporter decided to sniff around on this. Presley's 2020 financial disclosure, as required by law, filed on Friday, disclosed between $5,000 and $15,000 in rental income from a Boston property in her husband's name. The property was converted to a multifamily apartment after it was purchased, according to Presley's disclosure. Presley's office did not immediately return Fox News' request for comment. By the way, they were also reporting the same level of rent income 
in 2019, before the pandemic. So you could say, oh, well, before the pandemic, they didn't have the public health emergency. So five to $15,000 in, I mean, that seems a little capitalisty of Monsieur and Madame Presley to be charging rent to people. Think of the people and the workers and the children. Why would you do something like that, Ayana? Why? But then the public health emergency hits, and she's demanding the cancellation of rent everywhere, but she couldn't manage to cancel the rent for her own tenants. And that sweet rent money came flowing right in to the Presley Palace and their coffers. Five to 15 grand. That's hard-earned money from people who probably couldn't afford it, Congresswoman. So she shouts and she writes bills. We need to do this. And in her own life, she can't even be bothered to do that exact thing. And I guess the calculation, since this, this is where I'm not sure. Did she realize this could be a problem for her in terms of optics and hope that no one was going to notice in her financial disclosures this little line item? Or does she not even think about it? Is it just mindless, dumb, dumb blathering about whatever new talking point they've dreamed up over in the squad's kitchen without even a thought about how her own behavior and conduct might conflict with the language. I honestly don't know, but it was probably one of those two options. Is Ayanna Presley going to cancel the rent for her tenants in 2021? We still have a public health emergency. Think of the children. What's that line? If they didn't have double standards, they would have no standards. That comes to mind, whether it's Cori Bush or Ayanna Presley, I wonder, AOC might need to do some cleaning of house over at the squad because there are some stragglers who really hurt the brand. Corey Bush not helping, Ayanna Presley not helping, the anti-Semitism from the other two. Oh, wait, there's no squad left. If you start culling the problems, it's down to AOC. Imagine AOC being like your ringleader, your best member of your group. It's almost impressive. The Happy Hour on The Guy Benson Show continues after this. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Got the views of a senior Republican strategist and the looks of a high school junior. Townhall.com political editor Guy Benson. Home stretch. On the Guy Benson Show, fact check, I'm a college sophomore. That was my intro on Gutfeld last night, where Greg goes around the horn and you never know what he's going to say about you. And you're on camera when he says it. So I posted the clip on my Instagram story, Guy P. Benson, you can go watch it. Cookie actually cut the clip for me. She's learning things. A new trick, almost. As I told Wyatt and Maxie, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Your words. Your words. So, by the way, if you just heard in the background a very distinctive laugh of Max, our engineer, who we said goodbye to, very emotional goodbye on Friday. Yes, he's still in the control room for parts of the show because it's a transition week. He's doing part TV, part radio. So, in case you thought we lied to you, we did not. You just heard that laugh. And if you're a longtime listener, it's like, hang on. 
It sounded like Max. In any case, that was my intro on Gutfeld last night, which ended up being a fun experience. And then I went back to the hotel. And this is, I think, a sign when you're starting to get, I don't want to say old, but older. So I'm in the city, right? I'm done relatively early. I'm done at like 730 because Gutfeld tapes. The city is my oyster. The night is young. I went right back to the hotel. I ordered Chinese food. I watched the Yankees beat the Red Sox while eating my Chinese food. I watched Family Feud, and I went to bed. I think this is what the kids call self-care. You really know how to live on the edge. That was some self-care, and it was fantastic. Another sign that you're getting older. Today, I got a text message about the delivery of a new mattress that I purchased, and I got very excited about it. Mattress ownership and adulting, I guess, is the word that people use. Like, ooh, like in the past, like what would get you excited in a text message from your friends? Hey, we're going out, we're doing this. And it's like, your mattress will be delivered on August, whatever. I was like, yes, super stoked on that. And then perhaps most shocking to you, Christine, while eating my Chinese food dinner in my hotel room, in my boxers last night, I bought at the bodega next to my hotel a tall boy of Bud Light just to have with the Chinese food. I drank maybe half of it. Then my dinner was over, and I'm like, I don't really need the rest of this beer, and I poured it out. Like, this is this is adulthood, I guess. Mm, I always finish the hooch. Are you disappointed in me? Yes, very. Should I have saved it and brought it to you warm and you flat? Should, no, you should have been an adult and pounded it. Life lessons from Cookie on the home stretch of the Guy Benson Show. I might try to live it up a little more tonight in New York City. We'll see. I don't know. Relaxing sounds nice. Netflix? Ooh. Another big night in for Benson. Back here tomorrow on the Guy Benson Show. We'll talk to you then. Happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. We've got a bit of a factor follow-up for you here today. Yesterday at this time, we brought you the story of squad member Ayanna Presley, who has called for canceling rent. We have to end and cancel rent. She even introduced a bill to do so. Well, it turned out in her financial disclosures that she and her husband made thousands of dollars in rental income last year. So they want the government to cancel rent, but I guess they couldn't extend that favor to their own tenants. Had to make that sweet landlord money. Well, FoxNews.com has continued to dig into this. And guess what? There's another squad member involved. Rashida Tlaib, a gift who keeps giving, unless you're Jewish. She has also called for canceling rent. Right? Out there, beating the drum with her fellow squad members on this for the people. Well, according to the Fox investigation, the Michigan Democrats' 2020 financial disclosures filed on Friday disclosed between $15,000 and $50,000 in... Rental income from a Detroit property. Tlaib's office did not immediately return Fox News's request for comment on this. They asked her whether she offered her tenants the opportunity to cancel their rent in 2020. Obviously not, because she made between 15 and 50 grand last year in the middle of a pandemic. Got to keep that gravy train running if you're a member of the squad while you're spouting off about national policy, that would do exactly the opposite. What a fun group they are. It is an honor and a delight to be able to cover their various foibles, which seem endless. 
The happy hour on The Guy Benson Show continues. Home stretch on The Guy Benson Show on this Thursday. Looking forward to seeing you tonight on Kennedy, Fox Business, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm sitting in. So last night I bumped into a few people who work on The Gutfeld Show. And I was on the panel on Tuesday night. This is pretty cool. It was the highest rated show in the history of Gutfeld, which has only been around for a few months at this point, but it was their top rated show. Over 2 million people watching. I think it was 2.1 million and change. They, if I recall correctly, pulled a 0.7 rating in the demo at that time, the 11 p.m. hour at night. Pretty impressive. And they've been beating Kimmel. They've been beating Fallon. They've been beating a lot of the big late night shows. They haven't been able to get Colbert on CBS until Tuesday night in the demo, which happened to be the show that I was on. So the first time I was on Gutfeld, and I did remind them of this, the first time I was on Gutfeld, at that time, it turned out to be their highest rated show to date. And now my second time out, they set a new record and beat Colbert. And as I also told them, I'm sure that had nothing to do with the news cycle and having the guy who killed bin Laden on the panel. America was tuned in for this guy. They needed my takes. Still very cool to be on that show. Kind of momentous, breaking through, beating Colbert, sweeping basically the late night rating wars for the first time Tuesday night with millions of you guys watching. So thank you for that. And congratulations to Greg and Kat and their whole team. And I bumped into them on the street when I was walking to dinner last night at one of the best restaurants in the country. And it has been for years. This is not somewhere that I can typically go or can even get a reservation. It's one of these places you have to book forever. And it's impressive when you have that staying power. It's called La Bernadette. Chef Eric Repair, extremely well regarded. And a friend of mine had made reservations and he said, hey, but he's got an inn. He knows all these places. He can get in wherever. In fact, at one point when we were ordering, the waiter, they all knew him. The waiter's like, oh, yes, you're regular, sir. I would love to have a regular order at La Bernadette. That would be awfully great to get to that point in life. But I was just along for the ride. I'll talk more about that in a second. But I knew it was going to be a very rich, elaborate meal. And so I've been going to the gym at the hotel. I did an extra long Peloton ride yesterday. It was miserable, but it was in preparation for this meal. So it felt less miserable than it usually would. The previous day I was at the gym and I walked in and often this hotel gym, which I love, is empty. That's my preference. But there was one other guy in it. He was on the elliptical, really going fast. And I recognized, oh, it's Trace Gallagher, my Fox News colleague. So we made eye contact. I said, oh, hi, Trace. He's like, hey, guy, how's it going? He then proceeds to have this conversation with me. And I, I am not the least bit mad about it, but he was really going at an impressive clip on this elliptical machine while conducting a conversation. Like the man's cardiovascular health must be amazing because I'm at that point, I'm huffing and puffing. I don't want to make eye contact with anyone. I don't want like, if you ask me something, I might like grunt a word at you. I'm not having a conversation, but he was. So I was not starting my ride because I knew if I got into my ride and we were doing that awkward thing because there's all mirrors around the gym. We weren't looking at each other, but we were still making eye contact through like three mirrors. And we were talking about Fox and the news cycle and all this stuff. Such a nice guy. 
And we had a nice conversation. He's uh, he's in New York filling in for John Roberts this week. I think he's doing, he told me, Gutfeld. He'll be on the panel next week at some point. Nice guy. He's usually based out in L.A. I was, let me just like slow clap for Trace Gallagher and his degree of being in shape because I am impressed and very, very friendly. And then I got down to business, got on the bike, the conversation ended. And then I sort of was like keeping up appearances because he was still in the gym. And then he waved goodbye. He took off. And I was like, okay, now I can just fully be miserable and just, you know, groaning and all this. I just, I do it because I have to, not because I like it. But Trey seems to actually like it. Anyway, the point is, I was doing all of this in advance of this very special dinner where my friend was able to get a reservation at Laburna Den like with a few days notice, which is wild. And I may have mentioned him on the air before. His name is Zhang Toy. Zhang, Z-A-N-G-T-O-I. You can look him up. He is a high-end fashion designer in New York. I met him when I was on my book tour with Mary Catherine back in 2015. He is from Malaysia. He's a first-generation immigrant. He is flamboyantly gay. He wears what he calls a mini kilt, if you can picture that, with like Swarovski crystals on it. He's got all this high-end clientele. So what person of color, immigrant, gay, and just a total right-winger. He loves Fox. He loves Trump. He knows the Trumps. I think Ivanka Trump has modeled in some of his shows. He does like the full thing, New York fashion shows, all this stuff. Like real famous people show up. I've been at some of these fashion shows. He's invited me and you look around, it's like actors and actresses and musicians and that sort of thing. And then me and some Fox News people. Like I bumped into Bill Hemmer at one of these things. Don Jr. and Kimberly, they were at one of these things. So it is a, it's an eclectic array of people. And Zhang is one, totally one of a kind. And his American dream, he loves this country so much because he grew up living above his parents' grocery store with many siblings. And he came to this country and now has like a standing reservation at Laburna Den. That is amazing. And his gratitude for this country is boundless. So the meal was amazing, as it always is. I've, I say always. I've eaten there twice. Also, the meal should be that good for that price. My goodness. Zhang insisted on paying. He's like, you'll get it next time. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, next time we're back here together at Laburna Den, the old LB. Uh, but he's extremely generous. The conversation was my favorite part. It was great to catch up with him. I posted, if you're a foodie or if you're curious to know what Zhang looks like, I posted every course of food on my Instagram story. Guy P. Benson. That'll be active for the next few hours if you want to go check it out. And just in case you're judging me, First of all, feel free to judge me, but not all of the photos were of my courses. I did not eat all of this food. I just took pictures of everything that showed up at the table. It, it's like art, and it is delicious. And I know that producer Christine has questions. Curious, Christine, what are you curious about? It was just a dinner, a simple dinner between two friends. A simple dinner? I'm looking at the pictures right now, and I don't even know what you ate. I think I see a macaroni. There was Maybe? one There was one pasta dish that was, I want to say like a linguine, 
with sea urchin. Wow. It was very, very good. The He had these little beautiful pieces of like toast with like the highest end tuna and then uni or sea urchin on that. Those were amazing. I think there's something like eight or nine photos. The dessert, the last dessert is they called it a donut. I'm not a donut person, so I didn't order it. But the French waiter was like, you must get this. And so Zhang ordered it. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll have a bite. Zhang's like, you've got to try it. As soon as he got it and he cut into it, I said, oh, yeah, that is something very special that is not a donut. And it was awesome. Every single thing, they put so much thought into it. And again, this is not a place that I would go on a regular basis ever. I mean, I went there once before when I was launching my book for a celebratory dinner with one of my dear friends, Mary Catherine Hamm, my co-author. We split the wine pairing because it was so expensive. And also she was pregnant, so she couldn't drink very much. So the plan that we came up with was she wanted to taste the pairings. So the wine would come with each course. We did the full tasting menu that night, which is like 12 courses. We did not do that last night. And they bring wine. So she would have the first little sip from each glass and taste it with the food. Then I would drink the glass of wine. It was a great deal for me. Anyway, I just don't want people to think like this is my normal Wednesday night in the city. And I think we talked about it. On Tuesday night, I did nothing. I ordered in some like relatively cheap Chinese food and watched baseball and family feud and went to bed. Last night was a little different. It was a little bit more of a night on the town, and I felt pretty excited about it. Did you so did you do courses? I'm confused. Yes. Because I know that place has, like, a tasting. Yeah, so, so there's, there's a tasting menu option where you get, I want to say, 10 to 12 courses. We didn't do that. That's a whole production and much more expensive. Their normal menu is sort of spread across two pages where they have a column of cold appetizers, a column of warm appetizers, I believe, and then a column of main courses. And then later comes a dessert course. So you select one of each, and then you get the dessert menu. So I ended up having a glass of champagne and then two glasses of wine that the sommelier recommended would go well with my various things that I ordered. And it was amazing. It was so fun. And I am willing to bet we were probably the only people in that whole restaurant having the conversations that we were and talking as much as we were about politics and Fox. This is a very upscale, I would say, left-leaning New York crowd, but not us. Although you should never judge a book by its cover because you would look at Zhang and know his gig and be like, there is no way this guy's anything other than a lefty, but he is most certainly not. He actually appeared on The Real Housewives of New York, and I believe season one or season two. So I'm kind of fangirling out here that you're actually friends with Wait, him. Wait, did That's you not meet him? He came to the cool. wedding. He was at our wedding. So I saw him at your wedding. I didn't, you know... Go up to him. He was in the mini kilt. He was the only person wearing the mini kilt. I I did see him there. So, and I have to say one thing: this restaurant looks amazing. Um, But I do go to a place, guy, that I have a regular order. I just want you to know, and that place is called Domino's. I was going to say, 
It's like, hi, it's Cookie. They're like, oh, Cookie, do you want the regular pineapple on your pizza? We'll have it straight to you. Hashtag Italian. <laughs> well, you said it's not not often you can go to a place that I am a regular. Not all the time, but, well, I guess that would be a regular. But they they know. They know me. And they, and they that, know what. And let's be honest. The Domino's people do not know you or your regular order, but there is absolutely at least one bartender who knows your order. You walk in and they're already pouring the Cosmo. I would say most of the restaurants that Bobby and I go to, they know that I want a Cosmo. I mean, I know this. They deliver it with the water to start the meal. It might come as a surprise, but most of the restaurants that we go to that are we're regulars, I mean, we walk in and they're like, Christine, Bobby, because <laughs> I know about their families, you know, uh, what, what they're doing the next day. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a and then, and then you have you, you chug your Cosmo and they ask you if you'd like another. Mm-hmm. And then often you say yes, but occasionally you say something really classy and reserved like, no, I'm going to hold off. I'm trying to cut back this week on the hooch. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with the term hooch. <laughs> it's just you like it. I guess it applies. Tonight, I will not be drinking until after 9 p.m. Eastern because I'm going to be on the air, filling in for Kennedy, starting at 8 Eastern, Fox Business Network, obviously a lot going on. Hope to see you there. Back right here on the radio tomorrow. Same time, same place. Guy Benson Show. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday. I was on the train coming back from New York this morning, and I was talking with producer Christine planning the show today, and I just happened to mention offhandedly that I had brought my lunch with me on the train, and it was leftovers from a previous meal that we had talked about here on the show. So Tuesday night I was in New York. I was tired. I didn't want to do much of anything, and so I ordered Chinese food to the hotel and watched some TV. That was my big Tuesday night. And I ordered a few different dishes. It was just me by myself in the room. So, of course, I didn't eat all the food. We have a little mini fridge in the room. And I was actually rather proud of myself because I had ordered, as it turns out, enough food to parcel out over the duration of my stay in New York where I had it for lunch every day. So dinner Tuesday, lunch Wednesday, lunch Thursday, and then I had one little container left that I put the remaining food into and a little plastic bag bought a water, and brought it on the train with me and ate it for lunch just before she and I had spoken. And she bristled at this. She said she thought that was disgusting, not that it was three days old or that I was eating cold Chinese food with a plastic fork on a train. That was not what bothered her. What bothered her in general was the fact that I ate leftovers at all. Because, Christine... You don't eat leftovers ever? You hate leftovers? I I don't know why this is a thing that my husband gets very upset about with me, amongst other things. I do not eat leftovers. Even if it was something I had last night, I am not eating it the next day. I, for some reason, skeeve the thought of leftovers. You name one instance where leftovers are ever better than the original meal. Oh, I mean, I would say in a number of different dishes. No, you can't name one dish. There's no way. I would say Thanksgiving. 
Thanksgiving leftovers are so satisfying. Do you not eat Thanksgiving leftovers? No, I, I, I don't. What even is wrong? Honestly, what is wrong with you? I, I ask this. I, I ask this genuinely. What is wrong with you? Well, I mean, listen, I told you before, I talked to a therapist about a lot of things. I'm not going to sit here and tell you everything. Uh, but... Do you talk to the therapist about your aversion to leftovers? Because how much food does that end up wasting in your house? And and that's why, you know, when we go out to dinner or something and uh, Bobby sees that I don't eat maybe maybe half a meal, he gets annoyed because he's like, well, I'm going to wind up eating that because it's going to Or no one is. Or nobody is. Maybe he shouldn't. See, this is the thing. Maybe you, when you go out to dinner, because of your ridiculous position on leftovers, you should only get like an appetizer and a cocktail. Don't order a bunch of food that you're then not going to eat and throw away. Because you are, you can be, I'm trying to say this, you can be a little frugal, right? You want to make sure you've got all of your bills paid for and you save up for Christmas special gifts and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. Yes. To me, this is a no-brainer way to save a not insignificant amount of money by just eating the food that you have already purchased and prepared. I I get what you're saying, but yes, and I I am I I'm a little you know tight with the wallet, not with food. For some reason, I will spend on food. The other day, when I was in the building, I was telling Max I spent nineteen dollars on a salad. And I didn't even finish the whole salad, and I just threw oh. it out because I knew I would never take that home and eat that. Or I would never put it in the fridge at work and then the next day eat it. It would just never happen. It would sit there for days until I, I would have to come in and throw it out. one meal for four days this week. I have a visceral reaction to that comment. So, so you I would buy – this is what I don't understand. That. You will go to the grocery store. You will get a bunch mm-hmm. of ingredients – those ingredients will sit in your refrigerator, not all put together yet, but they're just sitting there in, in your fridge. Then they come out of the fridge. They are prepared and cooked, put onto plates. You consume some of the food at that sitting. There's leftover food. It goes back into the fridge. The exact same stuff, the exact same food, the exact same ingredients, at least this time prepared and ready for human consumption, and then you want nothing to do with it again. Well, how are you going to prepare it? You're going to – so say I had chicken and rice and broccoli, and I have it all in a plate from my dinner before, and I had leftovers. Where how – how am I going to make that dinner taste as good as the night before? Put it in a microwave? Yeah, you microwave. You just nuke it. No, you nuke it. No, no, or, like, do you not no. eat leftover pizza, Christine? No, no. That box would sit – Bobby would – I. It's gross. Like, if we have pizza on a Friday, Bobby would eat that pizza on Wednesday, and it is gross oh, yeah. to me. I, so this Ooh. is the only source of conflict with Adam on this. I am willing to eat leftovers longer from the original meal than he is. Ooh. Like, I'll do, I would say, up to a week in some cases. Like, five or six days I feel comfortable. He's more of a one to two, three is pushing it type of guy but you're saying none of it you'll have all that food the chicken the broccoli the nourishment sitting on your plate and you will just dump it directly into the garbage 
Oh, and Bobby will eat it. I mean, he he really doesn't have a choice because he's not going to let that go to waste. Uh, macaroni, Megan will eat a little leftovers. Megan's not a big leftover person either, and he blames me for that. Oh, yeah, he, he, that's your fault. Well, like I, if it if, I don't if it were just a normal leftover. if it were a normal sort of activity in your house, right? If it was a standard operating procedure that you would have leftovers sometimes for a meal, she wouldn't think twice about it. I mean, my mom or my dad, like, they would often cook enough for the purpose of having leftovers. Oh, like it uh, was... Judgy Joyce did the same. And the battles we would have, like, my parents were really strict, and I just would not eat. And they would say to me, like, if you don't eat this, you don't get anything. And I'd be like, fine, I just won't eat then. I don't understand that. So I was there, a stubborn little cookie. There are people who meal plan also who will cook a huge amount of food on like a Sunday and then parcel it out for lunches throughout the week. It is a completely normal thing to do. And it oh, doesn't even planning. sound like you we find it. That. It doesn't we sound like you that. find it like too physically revolting. It sounds more like this is sort of some weird, I don't know, psychological thing or like a snobbiness. I'm trying to figure out why. You won't eat. What would be what would be the limits of this? Like, what would be the? Oh, okay. Like, I ha- I have one thing that I may eat the next day. Okay. Uh, uh, Benihana or like hibachi. Uh, Bobby, the next what? Day take that hib- I might eat the hibachi the next day because he'll take it and put it in like a wok and like zhuzh it up to make it really nice again. So I may do that. So like Maybe, a fried rice that, type like, thing? Yeah, you know, like the hibachi meal you would get at Benihana, where they throw, you know, when they throw the food at you. and that's, Yeah, that's but a to me, that is, that is the strangest answer for you to give of the one thing that you would eat. I feel like hibachi is the thing that you want to eat right there because it's a show that they put in front of you. And, I mean, I guess if you sort of have a kind of a stir-fry type thing, it can taste good the next day. It's why Chinese food is so good, I think, the next day. Right? There are some foods that are not. French fries, bad the next day. Um, oh, terrible. Like uh, a hamburger. Well, I guess yeah. you eat your whole burger. Chicken. Yeah, but often, no burger. terrible. It, it gets a little bit more dried out, so you, that's why you need Ooh. sauces. You can dip stuff in sauces. But yeah, but French fries gross the next day. Sushi you don't want to be eating the next day. There are a few things that you just eat in that moment and then you're done. But almost everything else, like you can reheat pizza really well. It doesn't even have to be in the microwave. You can put it on the stove. Like you can get one of those skillets and reheat it that way and it's delicious. No, pizza should just be, get the box, you know, your, get your, you want me to reheat my pineapple? Pizza? No, I don't want you to have pineapple pizza. No. Pineapple pizza is gross at all times. I'm saying good pizza. And, and yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know what else to say. I, I think maybe it's more of a, and we're deep diving here, a microwave thing. Because I really don't like anything in the that comes out of a microwave that's been cooked. Except popcorn. That's like the only thing I think I could put in a microwave. And like, I don't use mine. Um, Even to just heat certain things up? Well, if I'm heating it up, then that's really kind of considered a leftover, no? Not necessarily. Like, if you have to melt some butter or something. I mean, microwave has a lot of different uses. Yeah, 
yeah, I can, okay, maybe melting butter, popcorn and melting butter. But I'm just saying I would never put, like, chicken that I made the night before and broccoli and rice into a microwave, heat it up for a minute, and then eat it. I just wouldn't do it. I'd, I'd rather have a bowl of cereal. Here's a question. You've got a pint of ice cream. You eat some of the pint of ice cream. Do you put it back in the freezer or do you throw it away if there's ice cream left? It's funny that you say that. Um, I do. If you look in my freezer right now, there are so many cups of when we've gone out for ice cream of my leftovers that I've never touched again. Bobby, usually at the end of the, like a month, he'll go in and he goes, up. Oh, there was her mint chocolate chip she never ate. There was this. And she, he just throws it all in the garbage. So if you had... He goes, I'm not going to eat it. Yeah, but if that's... Yeah, I don't know why you would bring back leftovers when you don't eat leftovers. That's another question that I have here. But it's not like a small scoop or something from when you go out. If you get like one of those larger tubs of ice cream... Oh, we don't do that. Mm-mm. Nope. Because you I would have... A tub of ice cream. Because you wouldn't, wouldn't want back. to... Yeah, I just wouldn't. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I would never just, like, dip into it and then, like, the next day dip into it. I don't know. I just wouldn't. Or maybe I would do it two times and then that would sit there for, like, six months and then just get blown out. This is... This is... I called it pathological earlier. I would say it's almost like a neurosis, another cookie neurosis <laughs> that we have now uncovered. I cannot relate to this at all. I like leftovers... I mean, there are limits, but I like leftovers. I actually took pride in the fact that I did not waste any of the food that I ordered. I did not go and get brand new meals when I had perfectly good food sitting in a refrigerator. So I ate that food because, as like every dad in the world says, there are children starving in Africa. So being wasteful like that, I just, I I can't do it. I know. I know. Judgy Joyce used to say the same thing to me. I mean, I'm not kidding. No wonder she's so judgy. I'm realizing why she's so judgy. (laughs) You're her daughter. Yeah, I don't know if you know this about me, Guy. I'm a little bit on the stubborn side. (laughs) I do know that. And that's. I think that's the thing that's annoying me about this, because I think this is less about you being truly viscerally grossed out and more about you just being stubborn and wanting to have this your way. I don't, I, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I mean, you can even ask Max. That <laughs> sounds whoever, like an admission. Like, I, he's probably, he's never really probably seen me heat up food to bring in, you know, when we were like, you know, doing this show. Well, obviously just, not. I, I, obviously I, not because yeah. you don't do it. You don't even do it on Thanksgiving, like some sort of mm-hmm. communist, which brings us back. Maybe, you know what? In Soviet Russia, I bet you they don't have leftovers. And this goes back to the Soviet spy days. Maybe this is the true origin. It all comes together. There's got to be a carousel angle to this as well. I'm going to think on that over the weekend and try to diagnose you perhaps. Although sometimes you are undiagnosable on these things, Christine. Uh, I'm going to be having leftovers for dinner, I'm sure, tomorrow, if I had to guess. We're going over to the little restaurant in our neighborhood tonight. Bring back some leftovers. That'll be lunch. It'll be delightful. All right, well, we needed a talk about something completely ridiculous after the week that we've had here. These news cycles have been difficult. It has been a privilege covering this news with you, and I hope you found the program to be worthwhile, entertaining, interesting, etc., and we strive to do our best every single day. Back here on Monday, have a good weekend. It's The Guy Benson Show. That was this week's edition of Bonus Benson. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.